0: Welcome to The Open Bible Podcast, a resource of Church of the Open Bible in Current, Saskatchewan. In today's episode, Pastor Jay and Pastor Joe tackle the doctrine of hermeneutics. They explain what it is and why it is so important in our understanding of Scripture.
1: Hello, church and guests. This is Pastor Jay Hines. And Pastor Joel Sorgen, Welcoming you to another episode of The Open Bible Podcast. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. On today's episode, we will be discussing chapter 16 on basic theology. So far in section three of his book, Ryrie has addressed the nature of the Bible, the essential doctrines of revelation, inspiration, inerrancy, and the canon. Well, now he concludes by addressing the interpretation of the Bible. So no no longer explaining what it is, but now what we should do with it. In other words, he addresses what theologians call hermeneutics a word many of our listeners may or may not be familiar with. So, Joe, let's just start with that. What is hermeneutics?
0: Uh, yeah, so hermeneutics, as was basically described by Ryrie in the book, he said that hermeneutics is the study of the principles of interpretation. Uh, so it's kind of why we interpret the Bible the way that we do. Uh, it's like the, the system that we might have in place to know how that we actually read the Bible, how we interpret it. And the thing is, everyone actually has a system of hermeneutics, whether they know it or not, Uh, you know, maybe not, it's not consistent for everyone. I'm sure that that's the case. Sometimes probably I'm guilty of not being consistent with my hermeneutics, um, but I've been working on that. And uh, anyway, so that's basically how we would sum it up is, uh, you know, maybe with the question, why do we interpret the way we do? Well, that's what hermeneutics is all about.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's those principles, or we could say the rules for rightly understanding a text, in this case, the Bible. Now, I like what you said. We all have a hermeneutic when we come to the scriptures or really we come to any other text as well. There are certain principles and rules that we follow, whether we know it or not. But many people and many Christians are unaware of the principles and rules that they probably just picked up. And this can be disastrous if these principles of interpretation are incorrect, because then that, of course, could lead to incorrect understandings of scripture. And so we need to then think through this a little bit, and Ryrie does a good job of helping us. And specifically, what he calls us to embrace is a literal hermeneutic. Now, what is that? What what are literal hermeneutics? Uh, well, as as he described in in the
0: book, there he said basically having a literal hermeneutic means uh, it's the plain or the normal hermeneutic, which simply means what the Bible says. You just look at the plain meaning, the normal meaning. Uh, of what what the words are clearly saying and say yeah that, that's what it means right it's uh, we we take things as they're written according to human language that's what it means
1: to have a literal hermeneutic basically yeah it's interpreting the bible according to the normal principles of communication or we might say it's reading the bible in the same way that we read any other writings right now sometimes the word literal is misunderstood to mean literalism in other words there's no place For figures of speech or symbolism, that kind of thing. But that is certainly not right. It just means that we interpret the Bible, as you said, in a plain, normal way, which, of course, would include identifying figures of speech and symbols according to the normal rules of speech. So uh, it seems pretty obvious. But sadly, this has often been replaced by something else, especially when we're talking about interpreting the Bible, right? So I pick up a newspaper. Well, who reads newspapers anymore? But let's say I picked up a newspaper or a magazine or whatever. I'm reading something, a book, and I am going to use normal, plain uh, hermeneutics, uh, normal, uh, plain understanding of grammar and syntax and all the rest. And I'm going to understand it plainly as for what it means. But for some reason, which maybe we'll talk about a bit more later, uh, many people come to the Bible in a different way. Suddenly they switch their hermeneutic. It's like, okay, I read everything else this way so that I can understand what's being written. But when I go to the Bible, it changes. Well, what are some of those changes? What are some what we might call non-literal hermeneutics? Uh, well, I think basically there's there's a few examples. One would be just spiritualizing
0: everything when you come to the Bible. Like it, it it's not, this isn't literal. This isn't literally what it's saying. It must have some other spiritual meaning or or allegorizing everything, for example, as well. Uh, and when you do either of those two things, as well as many other ways that you can read the Bible and with a non-literal hermeneutic, I think what ends up happening is that uh, we can't find the real true meanings. You're, you're reading all sorts of new meanings into the text, and then uh, really that's that's very subjective. Uh, There's no objectivity when it comes to uh, having a non-literal hermeneutic because you can make the Bible say nearly whatever you want if you spiritualize or allegorize every single thing.
1: Yeah, and maybe part of the reason why those types of allegorical or semi-allegorical or you could say non-literal hermeneutics have taken root is because of the history of the interpretation of Scripture. And it's actually interesting, I don't want to go into this in great depth, but there's actually some historic roots um, amongst pre-Christian Jewish Uh, and also Greeks who use this kind of allegorization. And then that was widely accepted by some of the early church fathers who continued on as the dominant method uh, throughout actually the Middle Ages. And essentially what it was was this. Uh, It it was adopted in order to make the Old Testament more Christian, or so they thought. And therefore, you know, they wanted to take the Old Testament and direct it, uh, apply it directly to the church and, and therefore also make the Bible uh, more acceptable to popular philosophical systems of the time, particularly Gnosticism, which taught that spiritual things are inherently good, while physical things are inherently bad, or spiritual truths are inherently good, and physical truths are inherently bad. So then he had to take the Old Testament that has all of these physical realities, right, all the physical ceremonies and sacrifices, but also all the prophecies, right, of a physical nation living in a physical land, in a physical kingdom, right, with a a literal uh, temple and a literal king on a literal throne and all of that. And they had to say, oh, hold on a second. No, that's not spiritual enough. So we need to uh, spiritualize it and turn it into something else, something non-literal in order to make it more acceptable. Well, that has kind of just continued on, maybe not in such an extreme degree as it once was, but still today there's many times where people do that and specifically with prophecy. So I think that's really, and I think Ryrie talks about that doesn't he with the semi-allegorical Hermeneutic. Yeah, especially
0: this happens all the time in, in the Old Testament when you're reading uh, prophecy, uh, I think of a few different places, whether it be, you know, Zechariah or, or Isaiah or, or wherever, where you read something and all of a sudden it's like, well, I got to, that, that doesn't quite fit with what I believe. I better, you know, maybe make this into an allegory. Maybe I'll spiritualize this. Clearly, this can't be talking about Israel, for example. This must be talking about the church. Uh, That's one very common thing that happens when it comes to spiritualizing, especially when it comes to prophecy. Uh, So they spiritualize the word Israel into saying, well, clearly it's talking about the new Israel, about the church. Uh, uh, Whereas, well, is that the author's original intent, which we'll get to a little bit later as well? Well, no, it wasn't. He was talking about literal Israel. Uh, And so, yeah, with prophecy, that can tend to happen quite a bit.
1: Yeah. And, And not just because of maybe some philosophical presuppositions that were then brought to the text. That was certainly the case in the early church. I would say today, maybe one of the reasons why a semi allegorical or sometimes we call it spiritualized hermeneutic uh, has been embraced is because, you know, and I I don't want to be uncharitable, but I think a lot of times what people do is they come to the text already with their system of theology, and then they want to force it into the text rather than let the text Mm -hmm. correct their system. So if you already have this presupposition and a great one that you just mentioned, that uh, there's no distinction between the nation of Israel and the church, but they're one and the same, just in diff- under different uh, covenants at different times. Well, then you're going to have to really reinterpret a whole lot of Old Testament scripture, especially a whole lot of Old Testament covenants, promises and prophecy in order to make that work and you're gonna have to take the literal reading like we said before about a literal israel and a literal land and a literal kingdom and a literal temple and all that and spiritualize it into something else to make it fit with the church now there's also other kinds of what we might call more technical non-literal hermeneutics Um, there's genre hermeneutics where sometimes it's called genre overdrive where people look at the ancient near east and different um, genres that were used like apocalyptic, for example, and then use that to read like a book like Daniel uh, in a non-literal way and start reinterpreting and spiritualizing certain things, again, especially when it talks about Israel or a literal kingdom. Uh, Also, postmodern hermeneutics is very common these days. Within postmodernism, there is this um, underlying sort of foundational presupposition that all truth is is relative and that ultimately truth isn't objective and isn't found in a particular text or even in the author's intent in that text, but rather the meaning is found in the reader and my subjective experience and how I relate to it. Sometimes it's called reader response um, uh, as well. And that too is problematic because then you can basically spiritualize or allegorize or make the scriptures say whatever you want them to say but all that's probably pretty unfamiliar for most of our listeners. However, I would say there's probably some non-technical ways that this shows up, mm-hmm. this non-literal hermetic. What would be some of those examples?
0: Well, I like to call one the point and go, uh, where you know, you're know you maybe about sitting down to do, do your devotions and, uh, oh, I don't know where to read today. And then you just, maybe you're outside, let the wind blow through your Bible and Then you point your finger and see what it says, kind of. And maybe you start reading there. And I mean, whatever. If you're trying to choose a book of the Bible to study or something like that, and that's what you do to choose your book, nothing wrong with that. But if I mean, it's still a little weird, but whatever. (laughs) Um, But if if you're trying to just like find what is God saying to me today and then you do that, it could have some pretty drastic results.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we were talking about this earlier. There's this funny anecdote that maybe you've heard before, but there's this man and he opened his Bible and pointed to a verse hoping God would give him, you know, a personal message wherever his finger landed. What happened to fall right on Matthew 27, 5, that says he departed and went and hanged himself. Well, he was obviously upset and disturbed about this and how, what this meant for him. So he tried again, turned to another section. And this time he landed on, on Luke 10:37 that says, then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Was starting to get really nervous, he tried again, turning to John 13, verse 27, where his finger landed. And there it says, and Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. <laughs> Obviously, we could get into a lot of trouble if we started using that kind of random figure mm-hmm. finger hermeneutics. Um, another one that I think is popular is what I call the Where's Waldo hermeneutic. You know those Where's Waldo books and every page you're looking for Waldo? Where is he? Where is he? I think we can have that approach when we come to scriptures too. And right away ask, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? What does this mean for me? Me, me. Now, that is a question that can be asked at some point, right? I I always say that, you know, there's three questions we should ask when we're looking at scripture. What does it say about God, right? Um, What does it say about the world? And what does it say about me And, and to me and specifically what I should do with this truth? But that's different than having a me-centered approach. The Bible is not about you and me. It's about God. And specifically, it's about Jesus Christ and how we then fit into his plans and purposes for the world. But when we start trying to find ourselves everywhere, we can come up with some really bizarre interpretations of scripture that point things that aren't talking about me, right, to me. Um, what would be some others? Uh,
0: well, another example would be, you know, you're reading your Bible and you think, oh, that was really good. And you're thinking about it. And then God told me that this means such and such. Uh, and it actually, it really clearly has nothing to do with that. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of an example here. I say you're, you're reading, uh, you know, about Joshua and, and Jericho and the walls fall down. And you read that and you think, you know what? I think God's telling me that this means we got to march around the United States of America and let the... Let the big wall fall down. Uh, you know, Trump's wall, it's gonna fall. And that's what God's telling me today. Well, that's well, obviously, that's a silly example. Um, but there's examples like this, and and people often can can be guilty of doing that. We need to be very careful that we're not doing that when we read the the scriptures. Oh, God told me this and then have some sort of interpretation that we came up with that clearly is not the intent of what the Bible's telling us.
1: Yeah, that's reminded me of a story of um, a man who was trying to get this young woman's attention. And he really wanted to date her. He was hoping to marry her and she just refused him, refused him, refused him. Well, finally he was listening to a sermon on uh, that same text. And the pastor using some non-literal hermeneutics, um, his final application was, you know, now what walls are around your success, you know, in your life of you meeting your um, dreams, realizing your dreams and your visions Why don't you go and march around, right, that uh, problem in your life so that you can have success? So the man goes, finds this girl, marches around her a number of times and then says, now, will you go out with me? (laughs) And she refused him and he didn't understand. But I did what the Bible said. Right. Clearly, that is not a proper way of interpreting scripture. There's other examples, too. like numerology, sometimes looking at numbers and some numbers, you know, we recognize are have significance, but the context will usually determine that quite clearly, we have to be very clear, careful, I've heard some pretty bizarre uh, interpretations of of numbers, and and really, you can just find all kinds of ways to twist numbers, to make them say something that you think is really profound. Right. Um, or, you know, I think there was a book I never read it. I don't even know what exactly it's about, but called the Bible code that was really popular. And my understanding was that there's these patterns, this guy found in scripture, and if you put them all together and like, you know, the letter from every part of certain part of the Bible and you put them together, it says something and that's a prophecy or I think it was something like that. I mean, all of those sorts of things are non-literal hermeneutics. They're bizarre, mystical, strange, unnatural ways of understanding a book, a text, communication. But God has communicated to us to be understood. And so we read the Bible the same way we would read any other book with normal, plain interpretation, which takes us to the next point and the rationale for using a literal hermeneutic. I guess what I just said is one of them it's the purpose of language, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, God, we clearly see from Genesis 1, gave communi- uh, created us with the ability to communicate so that he could communicate with us, right? And that's what he did right away. He started communicating with Adam and Eve. And of course, um, would God give communication in a way that would be easy to misunderstand or or, or unclear, right, or, or insufficient? No, I mean, God is the master communicator. He would communicate perfectly and he would obviously want to communicate in a way that we could understand. And so the only approach that really makes sense of that is just a literal plain hermeneutic, understanding uh, communication based on the, the plain normal rules of language. Uh, what would be another rationale?
0: Yeah, I alluded to this a little bit before, but uh, we, we want to use a literal hermeneutic because then uh, the Bible's objective uh, right. If we're all reading the same words and understanding them in a in a plain and a normal way uh, for what it actually says, then boom. You know, everyone should basically agree on what the Bible is is saying. Uh, whereas if we're if we're allegorizing, if we're spiritualizing, doing all those other things that we mentioned before, uh, as I as I mentioned, then it's subjective. You can make the Bible say what you want, but if we have that plain, that normal hermeneutic, uh, then uh, it is objective. We can read it and it's, that's what it says. That's what it means. We're all good to go.
1: Yeah. And that way we can have stable meaning, right? I mean, if uh, in the allegorical approaches or or we should just say any non-literal approach, then it becomes subjective and it becomes not what did the author mean, but rather what do I think this means, or what do, how do I take this? What, what is this doing for me? What, what is this eliciting in me? What thoughts, What um, you know, all of that. And well, then you have no stability, right? And then how can God's revelation be revelation to God's people throughout the generations? I just don't see how it can. No, it was interesting because you said, right? If if we have that objective, that objectivity through a literal interpretation, then we should be able to understand passages the same way. We don't always. Mm But that's not because we can't understand if we use a consistent literal approach, what each passage is saying more often than not, it's putting the pieces together then where we might have some understandable differences. Um, Anyway, we could go on about that, but we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, I would just say probably for me, the biggest rationale for using literal hermeneutics is the examples we see in the Bible itself. And specifically that we see time and again, that God means what he says. And we see that right away in creation, right? God says, let there be light. And what happens? There's light, right? What he says is what happens. He means what he says, right? What happens is literally in connection to what he says, right? He doesn't say, let there be light, and there was darkness or there was something else, right? No, there was light. He doesn't say, uh, you know, let us make uh, the animals and, and, the, and the living creatures, and then birds appear, right? No, he already made the birds, right? um What he says comes to pass. Similarly, Genesis 2 and 3, uh, God says to Adam that if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die, right? And here comes Satan, and Satan says, well, did God really mean that? right? I'm not sure if he did. What does he start doing? Satan starts allegorizing, spiritualizing, or misinterpreting scripture. And he says, no, no, no. What's actually going to happen is you will become like God, right? Well, Adam sins. What happens? He dies. Now people say, but he didn't die right away. No, he did. Of course we know he died in a spiritual sense and he would die, right? Still, just like God said, God hadn't specified how that death was going to be carried out, but literally he died immediately spiritually in his separation from God and he would die physically as well. But prophecy also is huge in this, isn't it?
0: Exactly. When we read prophecy, it's fulfilled literally. We see that throughout the throughout the Bible and any prophecy that has yet to uh, come to pass, we can take that to the bank. That's also going to be uh fulfilled literally as well we see it throughout the bible it's always fulfilled literally just as it says that's exactly what happens and again just the bible is is showing us um, that it it uses the same hermeneutic with itself mm-hmm. and i think that should encourage us to use that same hermeneutic as well
1: yeah think of all the old testament prophecies about kingdoms about nations about events and most of all about messiah about jesus and how they've been literally fulfilled It's it's very clear Okay. So then what are the principles for using literal hermeneutics? And, uh, you know, there's a lot we could talk about here. I just want to very briefly summarize. Um, I, I tend to think of these seven principles which we'll just zip through first of all, the single meaning principle that every verse, every text has one meaning, although there are many applications or significances of that meaning. Right. And of course that just makes sense because of that's how we communicate. Right. I mean, if I'm going to write a note to Joe and say, Joe, Meet me, you know, at the coffee shop at 10 a.m., right? I mean one thing by that. Meet me at the coffee shop at 10 a.m. I don't mean meet me at the coffee shop at, you know, sometime in the morning even. No, that 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 even that is not a literal interpretation. I meant 10 a.m. Or Joel, meet me at the coffee shop. Well, coffee shop, we have to take that broadly. It, it could just mean restaurant. So maybe you mean actually meet me at Smitty's or meet right? I mean, no, I have one meaning, right? When we communicate (laughs) or when I tell my kids clean up that mess or there will be consequences. They know to take me literally, they know I have one meaning, right? And they know that there will be consequences if they don't follow that meaning. It's just normal communication. And again you know what we talked about even just in genesis 2 and 3 uh, make that very clear god had one meaning when he told adam if you eat from this you will die and that one meaning was if you eat from this you will die and that's what happened Uh, another principle is authorial intent in other words when we're reading a passage we're not looking at what does this mean for me but what did this mean for the author. What is the author saying? What is his intention? That's what we're always looking for. Authorial intent, right? Um, otherwise, again, we lose objectivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another principle, Joe, maybe you want to tackle this one.
0: Yeah. So it's just the, the grammatical principle. We want to interpret the Bible uh, grammatically uh, consider how the Bible uses different terms, different words, different, uh, as, as Jay alluded to before syntax and and how, Paragraphs and sentences are formed and and read that uh, and recognize, hey, like that's it's pretty important how things are stated. Uh, It's it's stated this way grammatically for a purpose. It's telling us one thing. Uh, And that's that's what we get when we use literal hermeneutics. And there's examples of this in the Bible itself as well. One from Galatians chapter three.
1: Yeah. And in verse 16, right, where uh, Paul says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring he's talking about the promises in Genesis 12. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. So Paul is looking at that passage and he's through the uh, close investigation of the grammar sees in this context, in this one part, he's actually talking in the singular, which is Christ. Christ is the ultimate offspring of Abraham through whom by faith, we all become children of Abraham in the sense of children of faith, right? And those who receive the spirit. So that's just one example of Paul clearly paying attention to the grammar and using that to understand a passage literally. Now, a second important principle tied with that is the historical principle. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, it's, it's very
0: important for us to understand that when the Bible tells us the, the history behind what's going on and we read a book, that that actually plays a pretty big part in how we interpret what the Bible is saying. And there's lots of examples of this as well. I think uh, of one would be like the book of, of Philemon. You know, there's lots of history in that book. Uh, as you read, you recognize it's just a short book, but you recognize, oh man, like there's, there's Philemon, there's Onesimus, and Onesimus was a slave to Philemon. And now all this stuff is going on. If, if we don't understand the history of that, and we interpret that in all sorts of different spiritual ways, we miss the main meaning. And, uh, and so again, history plays a very big part. And there's others other examples of that throughout the Bible as well.
1: Yeah. And just understanding, you know, the author's setting is really Mm -hmm. helpful. That historical background, I think of Philippians, um, knowing that Paul was imprisoned when he wrote it, which he says in the book, just sheds so much light on all of his exhortations to have joy and rejoice, right? That could be a little bit hollow maybe, or maybe we could think, oh, rejoice, because I guess Paul, just his circumstances were so pleasant, he could rejoice always. But knowing he was in prison when he's calling people to rejoice, and where he's talking about himself rejoicing, that really gives us much more clear idea of what he's talking about. Not a joy that's based on circumstances, but on Christ. Um, there's also cultural references that can be helpful to know, and sometimes some cultural background Books are maybe necessary, or sometimes we don't even need that. Sometimes, even just within the context, it explains itself. But some references that maybe we're not as familiar with, like sometimes, even like the clothing people are mm-hmm. wearing when that mm-hmm. comes out, or um, also just, just other cultural practices of the time. And then also just thinking about who the readers were, what the situation was, um, what the purpose of the book is. We've seen that as we've been going through John's gospel, how important it is at the end in chapter 20, 30 to 31, where John says this is the purpose of this book so that you might see these signs uh, and know that Jesus is the son of God and believe and have life in his name. Well, that helps us understand the whole rest of the book. Um, This is why too, often literal interpretation is called grammatical historical interpretation, because it takes those two principles, especially um, into view. Uh, The next is the contextual principle, which is very important. You've probably heard people say, you know, the the most important thing in real estate is, is um, location, location, location. Well, it's the same with uh, Hermeneutics—it's context, 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 right—and mm-hmm. not just the uh, near context. So, looking at a sentence and reading the sentences around it, and and what it said, so that we can understand. But also, um, looking at the broader context too. So, starting at words, then to sentences, then to paragraphs, then to the book to understand uh, this, the whole, and and also to then to understand the specifics.
0: Yeah, and as they say, like context is king. That's that's kind of a, a saying that's often. Use And it is, that's, that's where we get our meaning from. And there's all sorts of verses that can be taken out of context. You know, mm-hmm. you can just say a verse, and then all of a sudden, it has a whole new meaning. But if you read, just even the near the stuff that's around it, you all of a sudden realize, oh, that's not at all what it's meaning. An example of that is in as uh, in Matthew, chapter seven, the very beginning, uh, where Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. And uh, and Pastor Jay and I were talking before, kind of joking about how maybe this is actually the best known verse in the whole Bible. Uh, you know, don't judge me. How often do you hear that? All the time. But what is that actually talking about? Well, it's not saying that we're never to make judgments. It's rather not to be extremely judgmental. And actually, uh, if we look in the whole context as well, we certainly aren't to judge those around us who are, are non-believers, who are are not uh, are not walking with God because well they're they're lost but it does say that we should we should help out our brother as we look in the further context if you consider Galatians for example Galatians chapter 6 it says no help your brother and some people might say that's judging but it's not you're actually you're you're helping your brother you're not being judgmental you're you're judging in such a way that actually helps them. And so the, the near context as well as the further context actually helps explain what that is talking about.
1: Yeah, because Jesus goes on to say, you know, first take the plank out of your own exactly. eye, then go take the speck. So it doesn't say, don't, don't worry about the speck. It's no, just first be humble, look at yourself, right? Another important principle is what we call the progressive revelation principle. And it's just that God did not give us all of his revelation at once. We had talked about this earlier. Um, it's, he fills in the details as, as scripture uh, moves on and more and more revelation is given, but also there's some changes that happen. And the biggest change is between those who lived under the old covenant, the nation of Israel, and now those who live under the new covenant, the church and the church age. That's important because then when we're reading the old covenant, we need to recognize that the commands, some of the commands and some of the principles and some of the promises, they weren't made to us. Mm -hmm. They were made to israel and we can get into a lot of trouble when we start applying those directly to us um probably one of the best examples is in jeremiah, jeremiah twenty-nine eleven, right
0: yeah and we've all heard people apply this to their own lives i'm sure it says for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans for welfare not for evil plans to give you a future and a hope and often that welfare it depends on your translation means plans to prosper you Uh, You can see that. And so people often will say, well, that must be talking about me. I was supposed to live a good, prosperous life, but that's not what it means.
1: No, that wasn't given to us. That was given to Israel as part of their old covenant uh, that gave blessings to obedience. Okay. And then finally, there is the consistency principle, which is simply this. If there is one divine ultimate author behind the scriptures, right? And the Holy Spirit who as we saw a few weeks ago, carried along the human authors so that they wrote the very word of God, then we would obviously um, assume and rightly accept that scripture cannot contradict itself. But it's going to be consistent because there's one author who has um, one, one purpose and plan for all of redemption that he, and for, sorry, for all of creation and for all of history that he has revealed within the scriptures. And so the consistency principle is basically when i'm interpreting this passage it needs to fit with what the rest of scripture is saying and one of the ways we do that is through uh, by interpreting scripture with scripture do you want to explain that a bit how yeah
0: so basically you know if you if you read a scripture and oh man i don't know if i quite completely understand this even though i'm reading it in the most literal sense well that there's that's a little bit challenging it's maybe not the most clear well, you look to other places in scripture that are maybe more clear to help you understand that text it has to do with the same type of thing. Uh, there, are, An example of this would be maybe there's different things when we look at, uh, you know, the return of Christ or different things with end times that maybe it's like, oh, this isn't that clear. This particular text, I'm not 100% sure. Well, when you look at the further context of scripture and you you compare scripture with scripture, well, suddenly things sudden, well, will become a lot more clear when you let scripture interpret scripture you go to the more clear if something is a little bit less clear uh, when we read it literally
1: yeah so for example like john 5 29 which we recently went through um it appears that there's this one resurrection of the dead the resurrection of uh the the righteous or the believers to uh eternal life and the the resurrection of the unrighteous the unbeliever to eternal death but as we read on Later, particularly in Revelation, we see that, no, there actually are two resurrections that happen at different times, right? The resurrection of believers that happens at the, the rapture in First Thessalonians 4, and then the resurrection of the, uh, the dead, the unbeliever, um, at the end of the millennial kingdom, at the great white throne judgment, um, that'd be an example. Another would be sometimes you read passages that really stress the humanity of Christ. Well, if you read that on your own, you might say, okay, but Christ must be human then. Right, and not divine. Well, but you need to take into account all of the other passages Mm -hmm. that talk about his divinity and vice versa. So, interpreting scripture with scripture is also really important. Now, there's so much more we could say about these principles. I just want to recommend three books really quick if you want to go deeper. Well, one is just a little tiny booklet that I have. I have a few if you want to pick one up for me. It's just a tiny booklet called How to Study the Bible by Robert West. And it really just gets at some very basic um, explanation of some of these principles and how you can understand the scripture. If you want to go a little bit more deep, and this is a more full-length book, Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks is probably the best um, on basic Bible study methods and how to do this. Now, if you want to go a little bit further yet, then I would recommend Roy Zuck's Basic Bible Interpretation. So those could be some books you could go a bit deeper on some of these matters. But we want to end now, as we're running out of time here, we just want to end by looking at some of the benefits of using literal hermeneutics. So this is really where the rubber hits the road, some practical application. What are the benefits of this?
0: I think the the greatest possible benefit is that if you're using a literal hermeneutic, there's a quality. Any single single person who can read can understand, right? Because you just read it as it is and you can understand what the Bible is saying. And that is huge. That is hugely, hugely important. Now, I do want to say one little thing as well. Of course, there's there's some level of understanding that any single human being could have if they read the Bible, if they're able to read. But there is, no doubt, a greater understanding when we have the Spirit in us, when we are believers. Because the Spirit illuminates the truth of God's Word uh, to our hearts and in our hearts. And so, uh, while there is this, this reality that anyone can understand, as believers, we do certainly have a greater understanding because the Spirit... Is working in us and promoting christ likeness in us because uh because we can read and we can understand and we can then apply uh in the lord's strength through the spirit
1: yeah for sure and i just love the fact that there are you know some of the people who i think have have impressed me the most with their knowledge of the bible and i don't just mean their mental knowledge but even their experiential knowledge understanding have been uh elderly people who have never taken a bible college or seminary course in their life they've never read a scholarly book they've never even picked up a you know a bible commentary anything like that but they have just been lifelong students mm-hmm. of the word of god their bibles are worn out and they understand it and i would say often understand it better than a lot of scholars and a lot of seminary graduates mm-hmm. and pastors, because they have just read it in that simple, plain way. And, and and that's really what we have. I mean, the Bible was not written to scholars. The Bible was written to, you know, ordinary people, mm-hmm. to fishermen, to herders, you know, to um, uh, laborers, ordinary people. I mean, think about Revelation 1, where it talks about reading this. And if you obey it, you'll be blessed, right? He's just talking to the ordinary people in the churches and saying, you can understand this, which clearly then means they're using a literal, plain, normal interpretation. So, yeah, it brings that equality. Exactly. Um, Another is uh, apologetics. I mean, if we have a consistent literal interpretation of the scriptures and particularly prophecy, then we will see literal fulfillment, which is exactly what we do see. And that is a powerful apologetic for people who maybe don't um, question the inspiration of the Bible. Is it really God's word to say, look at these, these prophecies made hundreds of years early in the Old Testament and how they've been fulfilled literally in history. That is a powerful apologetic. But if you start spiritualizing those prophecies and promises and start spiritually fulfilling them, like some of the prophecies for Israel in the church, well, now you have basically eroded that foundation and that powerful apologetic.
0: And I think another thing too it, that that this uh, promotes and that this this benefits us if we're using a literal hermeneutic is it helps us have doctrinal unity. And I mentioned this a little bit before as well. But if we're if we're following the the same interpretive principle, if we're following the same hermeneutic, really doctrinally, we should line up in most things. And yeah, there'll still be a few uh, differences, maybe a little bit, because. Uh, again, not everything is 100% always the most clear. Uh, so there will be a few small differences, but overarchingly, we should have doctoral unity if we are following the same hermeneutical method.
1: Yeah. And then maybe one of the most important ones I would say is assurance. We can have assurance that God means what he says, that he will keep his word That if we understand that the scriptures literally, normally, plainly, and he makes a promise to us, like whoever believes in me has eternal life, we can bank on that, that God means what he says. That's not going to be reinterpreted. That's not going to be spiritualized to mean something else. God means what he says. He keeps his promises. Otherwise, how can we bank on anything? If some scripture we can allegorize and spiritualize and say, no, that's not to be taken literally. Well, then who chooses what gets taken literally or not? and why wouldn't we also then question some of the promises of the gospel or they're foundational to our faith? Well, I think that's a good place to end today. Uh, join us next week as we go on to discuss the following chapters in Ryrie's books, that book that we'll start to look at in geology. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide with you now and forever. Adios.